morning. It's my privilege to bring the Word of God to you this morning, and it's my prayer that as we open God's Word today that it would touch each of our hearts and uh, help us to be different people when we walk out the door than who we were when we came in this morning. It's a pretty significant day here at Tomball Bible Church. It's one of those Tomball Bible Church family days today. In the first service, we already baptized, was it five this morning, John, in the first service? We're going to do a couple more after this service, or at the end of this service today. Ben is here with us this morning, and uh, you'll get to meet him a little bit later on in the service as well. I feel like I'm doing the commercial for the upcoming events here. Um, but all those things are very, very special parts of our, our church family here, and I'm excited to be able to share with you God's Word on this exciting morning where we're gathered together with a lot to celebrate today. Um, And it's part of our series that he said, what? Series? Where we're talking about some of the hard things that Jesus said, some of the things that were hard for his disciples and hard for us to hear, Um, but hopefully that will be some of those things that really impact all the way to the depth of our hearts so that we will leave here different than how we came in this morning. So as we get into God's word this morning, I'd like to open this time in a word of prayer. Lord God, as we open your word today, I pray, Father God, that in all that we do here, that you would be uh, the thing that is at the forefront of our minds, Lord, that we would learn what you would have for each and every one of our lives. I pray, Lord, that we would rejoice in who you are and be challenged by your commands to us. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So as we start this morning, I have a confession to make. The older I get, the more I turn into kind of a crybaby. Skeet and I used to talk about that a lot, that he would, that, you know, as we get older and as we see our kids grow up, there's more things that sort of kind of cut all the way to the depth of us, and even as men, it's okay to cry. But there's sometimes I find it a little odd, like when you're watching Finding Nemo, (laughs) and you laugh, but most of you dads know what I'm talking about. When Marlin, the clownfish, who's not very funny, by the way, decides that he has to go out and chase after his son, you know, with the bad fin and everything, and he puts it all on the line, he does something that makes him completely uncomfortable, and with reckless abandon pursues Nemo, his son, all the way across the ocean, and finally finds him. I'm sorry, but as a dad, that brings a tear to my eye and a lump to the back of my throat. Maybe a little better example would be when my kids were little, I read to them the whole uh, Narnia series from beginning to end. The classic by C.S. Lewis that that is the story of Jesus Christ and his redemption for us. And and in the first book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, they made those books into movies a few years ago that were actually really close to the text of the books. They were actually very, very good. And I remember sitting and watching with my kids as we watched The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And there's one particular scene where one of the children who goes through the wardrobe into Narnia, Edmund, has fallen in under the control of the White Witch, the Satan character in the story. And as he has fallen under her her control. She wants to claim him, and Aslan, the great lion, the Christ character in the story, goes and meets with the white witch, and the outcome of this is that he is going to give up his life for this boy. And when they walk through the woods, 
and this great magnificent lion that could tear everything in the place from limb to limb from limb allows himself to be taken by these creepy little characters and they shave off his mane and they tie him down to the great stone table and they take his life. Tears pour down my cheeks. Not because of the death of a lion, but because that he cared so much for this boy that he would give his own life to redeem Edmund, who had, not, had done nothing but the wrong thing in his life. And as I think about that, I think that that is exactly the story of what Jesus Christ has done for us. And hopefully that you get a lump in your throat too when you think about the fact that Jesus Christ, the creator of all the universe, allowed himself to be nailed to a cross. For the redemption of mankind, the people that he had created, the offspring of Adam that he had made, The Bible says that he who knew no sin became sin so that we could be called the righteousness of God. It's amazing. And it should bring a lump to your throat when you think about the incredible love that God had for us, that he did not spare his own son, and the incredible love that Jesus Christ had when he put his deity aside in heaven, came to earth to live as a man and give up his own life for his own creation. And with that in mind, I think that gives Jesus an extra right into our lives to speak hard truths to us. In this series that we're going through over the last couple weeks, and it'll be for a few more weeks out, are some of the things that Jesus said that as human beings, as regular people, are difficult for us. But I want you to, to make sure if you haven't heard the first couple, keep up. Because all of these things are the things that God wants to put into our lives and that Jesus modeled for us. Later on in the service this morning, we're going to have a service of baptism. And you know, Jesus commanded us to baptize people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus modeled what baptism was when he allowed John the Baptist to baptize. It didn't allow. He actually insisted that John the Baptist baptize him in the Jordan River. And it was pleasing to God when that happened. And whenever Jesus commands us to do something, when he models it for us, and then when it's pleasing to God, that's something that we should probably try and take on ourselves. Do you not agree? So with that in mind this morning, um, I want to look at this, this Jesus that I'm talking about. Rich Mullins is one of my favorite writers. God took Rich to be home with, to heaven with himself a few years ago. And it was a loss to us, but a great gain to heaven, I think. And Rich, in one of his songs, wrote this. Don't worry, I won't sing. He said, he's a man of no reputation. By the wise, he was considered a fool. He spoke about faith and forgiveness in a time when the strongest arms ruled. But this man of no reputation loved the weak with relentless affection. And he loved all those poor in spirit, just as they were. See, people didn't understand Jesus when he was here. And I think that little verse sums that up very well. It's interesting. Rich didn't sing that song in concert very often because he couldn't get through it. It would choke him up when he thought about this Jesus Christ who who gave his life for us. But the people in Jesus' day didn't understand what Jesus was about. 
And I think as followers of Christ, if we are trying to model what Christ did for us, people won't always understand us either. And so the things that Jesus asks us to do in his word are going to be difficult things for us to hear, difficult things for us to do. But it's exactly what he wants us to do. In the day in which Jesus walked the earth, the Jews were expecting a Messiah that would come with military might, that would free the Jews from the tyranny of the Romans that ruled the world at that point in time. But that's not what Jesus came to do. He came as that man of no reputation, that loved people with relentless affection. And it was confusing to people then, and it can still be confusing to us today. In the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 23, says this, We preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews, and folly or foolishness to the Gentiles. You know, many of Jesus' teachings were radical. They were difficult because they were so contrary to the culture and the way we as people naturally think. They're stumbling blocks, and they seem foolish, because after all, could not the creator of the universe do whatever he wants? But in that, he allowed himself to go to the cross and be crucified for us so that we could be redeemed and spend eternity in heaven with him. First of all, all, my prayer for each of us this morning is, if you are sitting here this morning and you have never asked Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior, that this morning, this foolishness of the Lord of the universe coming down and dying for our sins would impact your heart and you would understand today that he has given you the gift of salvation if you will just receive it today. If that is you, I would encourage you to come speak to John or myself or one of the other elders after the service this morning. We'd love to talk to you more about that. But a lot of times things in the Bible, they just, they don't, they don't quite make sense to us in our own human minds. You know, all of us like those parts of the Bible that speak about hope and about grace and about forgiveness and mercy and being the children of God, of the universe and the promise of heaven. All those things are great and they're easy to hear. But that isn't all that Jesus talked about. Mixed in with all of those great things were some of the things that we've been talking about in this series. This morning we're going to talk about the fact that when Jesus called us to be followers of him, he called us to love others, and he called us to love them even unto our own death. And with that in mind, I want to go to a familiar story for most of us. It's a story about the day that Jesus sat with a huge crowd of people by the lake. There was, it said, the Bible says there were 5,000 men and their families. So depending on how many kids and women and everything you count into that number, we're probably talking fifteen to 20,000 people sitting around. And all that day, Jesus taught the people. He had been wandering around the, the countryside and healing people, and there was a huge crowd that came because of what they had seen Jesus do. And as they were sitting there, the disciples came and said, Rabbi, the people are hungry. They've been here all day. We need to feed them. And Jesus said, well, what do we have to feed them? And one of the disciples sitting out in the crowd with the people said, well, this kid over here has a sack lunch, got a couple sandwiches in it. And Jesus said, great, that's what we need. Bring them forward. The Bible says that Jesus blessed them and broke them. The food was distributed and every single person ate until they were filled 
And after that, there were enough leftovers that each one of the disciples went and picked up a basket of leftovers. It's a great story. And most of the time in church or Sunday school with the flannel graph, that's where the story ends. But that's not where the story ends in the Gospel of John. See, after the meal, Jesus sat down to speak to the, to the followers, the people that were there a little bit more. And instead of telling the crowd about where the next meal was coming from, what his next miracle was going to be, where they were going to meet the next day for healing of the sick and the lame and the blind and the deaf, that's not what Jesus did at all. Instead, he spoke to them about his own death and about eternal life and about the kingdom of heaven. And in John chapter 6, verse 60, we hear this. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, This is hard teaching. Who can listen to it? You know, again, when we're talking about healing people that have been lame their whole lives and blind people have been blind their whole lives, that's easy. But when Jesus talks about other things, sometimes it's hard to hear. And we tend as Christians to gloss over those things and concentrate on the good stuff, the easy stuff instead. And when it says disciples in this verse, it's talking about this large crowd, this throng of people that had followed him to the beach where they all ate. They wanted, to be, they wanted Jesus to be something, though, that he was not. They wanted him to be the Messiah that came with a sword and horses and conquered the Roman government, but that's not what Jesus came for. And you know, as Christians today, I think a lot of us have the same kind of attitude. We're often the same way, wanting a God of our own design. We want this God, and we want to pick out the things about Jesus and his life and his ministry and his commands to us that are good for us, that are easy for us, that fit in nicely and make this God that we would want for ourselves. But that's not what the Bible talks about. Continuing on in John chapter 6, at verse 66, it says this, and after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So get this, there were 20,000-ish. Look at where we get to next in verse 67. And Jesus said to the 12, 20,000 to 12 is significant loss in people. And he said to them, do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom should we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. You see, the thing that separated the crowd of 20,000 from the 12 disciples of Jesus was that the 12 had come to realize that Jesus was, in fact, the Holy One of God and that he had words of eternal life, not just words of conquering Romans. And we need to think that way today if we are to accept and apply the radical and different or difficult things that Jesus Christ calls us to now. We can't run away and turn away and walk away when the teaching gets difficult. So I want to look at our special teaching of this morning and we're going to start in John chapter 13. If you have your Bible, John 13, 1, says this. I'll set the stage for you a little bit. We're in the last week of Jesus' life, and it's going to be the Last Supper. 
John 13, 1 says this, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Or another version says he showed them the full extent of his love. If you're going to show somebody the full extent of your love, how would you do that? Would you, would you lavish gifts upon them? Would you try and take care of their needs? Things like that. Look at what Jesus does, though. It says that in this passage, it says that Jesus shared the Last Supper with them. He broke bread with them. He washed the disciples' feet. And he showed them what true servant leadership was. That's how Jesus showed the full extent of his love. And then at the end of that chapter, in verses 34 and 35, Jesus says this, A new covenant I give to you, that you love one another. I'm sorry, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. And by this, people will know that you are my disciples, if you love, if you have love for one another. You know, all of us as Christians should want other people to know that we are followers of Jesus Christ. And Jesus is very clear, and he says, if you want people to know that you're followers of mine, you need to love each other, the people in this room, other believers, and other people. But what does it really mean to love others as Jesus loved them? We all understand that we're supposed to be kind, we're supposed to be forgiving, we're supposed to be other things, but Jesus was very specific in what it meant to follow people, to love people like he loved them. John chapter 15, verses 12 and 13 says this. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Okay, we're in exactly the same spot. Now look at verse 13. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. So when Jesus talks about love, this hard teaching of the morning is not just that you're kind to people, that you're forgiving to people, that you turn the other cheek. Those are hard enough. But Jesus goes even a step further and he says, you need to be willing to die for other people. I will tell you this. I have four kids and a beautiful wife that I love greatly. And I would have no problem at all laying down my life for any one of them. As a matter of fact, there have been times in their lives, I remember when my my daughter Lily was very small and she cut her hand terribly, almost lost two fingers, and I'm laying with her in the hospital in the emergency room, literally holding her down while the surgeon's uh, sewing her fingers back onto her hand. And there's blood and snot and tears, mostly mine, I think, everywhere. And I can remember just laying there holding that little girl and praying, God, whatever pain she might feel, put it on me. Take it away from her. And I meant every word of that. And I would gladly give up my life today for any one of my kids or my wife. There's a couple hundred people out here this morning. And if honesty is prevailing, I would say I'm not sure anybody else in this room I would say that for. I realize that's not what the passage says this morning, but that's what my heart says. But that's not what God calls us to. God calls us to literally lay down our lives for others. I hope I'm never tested in that way, because I'm not sure I'd pass. But I do know this this morning, that is my desire 
My desire is that I would give my life for others. So to get practical for just a minute, let's just really be honest, though. The odds of that actually happening with anybody in this room are not very big. You know, back in 1956, a group of people were trying to reach out to the Alka Indians in Ecuador, and they spent several months airdropping things onto the beach where this native tribe lived and sending stuff to them as gifts. And then at one point in time, they decided it's time for us to go and meet these Indians that we've been trying to reach out to. And they landed on the beach. And that day, Nate Saint, Jim Elliott, and others got onto the beach to try and share the gospel of Jesus Christ with the men and women of that tribe. And they were killed by the tribe's people that they were trying to reach with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I don't think too many of us will fall into that category. We will literally be killed by natives that we are trying to reach with the gospel. It could happen. Statistically speaking, the odds are pretty small. Let's get a little closer to present day. 1999, Littleton, Colorado. There was a girl named Cassie Barnell. Some of you remember the story, and a gunman went into the school in Littleton, Colorado and put it to Cassie's head and said, are you a follower of Jesus Christ? And she had a choice to make. If she said yes, her life was over. If she denied Jesus Christ, he was going to shoot her. She denied Jesus Christ, and she lost her. Or she uh, said, yes, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. She lost her life that day. I have three beautiful daughters. I hope none of them are ever put in that position. My prayer is that they would be willing to give their life instead of deny their Savior. But that's not the situation that most of us are going to wind up finding ourselves in, is it? The odds of that happening in one of our schools around here are very, very small. The odds of us being on a beach someplace with headhunting Indians that are going to take our lives with a spear are pretty small. So what are we really talking about here? Well, well, it may be that we're in that situation someday, but it's probably more likely to be along the lines of what Evan talked about last week. See, last week Evan talked about the fact that many times Jesus calls us to do things, and it's much more about the attitude and the inclination of our hearts than it is about the actual actions that we physically take. And I think that applies here as well this morning. That God wants us not only to be willing to give up our lives, but to have the heart attitude that says that. One of my favorite passages of Scripture is Philippians chapter 2. About every third or fourth time I preach, it comes into the sermon. I guess that means it's one of my favorites. Philippians chapter 2, beginning at verse 3, says this. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility always count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Or in another translation says, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Here's that mindset. Who, though he was in form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped but emptied himself 
by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of a man, and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So if we're to be like Jesus, if we're to have that same attitude as Christ Jesus, if our heart is to be inclined like Christ Jesus, I think there's four things that come out of this passage. The first one is this. God calls us to be humble. The Bible says that Jesus humbled himself. What does humble mean, though, in a biblical sense of the word? It's not that town down the road where we don't pronounce the H which I've never quite understood, but that's a whole other thing. Humility in the Bible means this. It means we have power, but we put it under control for the benefit of someone else. Jesus, when he came to earth, took his deity and left it on a shelf in heaven and lived as a man. He humbled himself. He took his power and put it under control. The second thing it says that we're to do if we're to live like Jesus and have this attitude of Jesus is we're to be obedient. It says that he was obedient to the, to the will of the Father. The third thing says that he was willing to sacrifice. And the fourth thing was he was even willing to suffer, suffer death. Death on a cross, which is about as bad as it can get. So those four things make up the attitude that God wants us to have, this attitude of Christ Jesus. But look back with me, if you will, at verse 6 for just a minute. It says, Though he was born, uh, or though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. And so maybe a great question for us this morning to look at at this point is, what are each one of us grasping to this morning? What is it that you're hanging on to this morning that might be keeping you from having this attitude that Jesus Christ had that he wants each of us to have? There are things in each one of our lives where we find security and we find um, you know, comfort, and those are the things that God may be wanting us to release from our grasp. Sometimes God just needs us to let go and be a fool for him. Back in the 1990s, there was a contemporary Christian artist named Jeff Moore, and I got to know Jeff a little bit a couple occasions. He wrote a great song that talks very nicely about this. Again, I won't sing for you. It says this, Charlie was a fool. Did you hear what he went and did? He quit his job, he threw it all away, and he gave his life to a bunch of kids. He said that he was in love with Jesus. But his friends, they didn't understand. He could have had it all, they said, but he just smiled and said that he already did. Sarah was a beauty queen, missed something or another. But one day she took off her crown, she rolled up her sleeves, and she gave her life to a mission to others. She said she was in love with Jesus but her friends called her a fool. They said she'd never find happiness, but she just looked at them and smiled and said that she already did. You know, I think if we really examine this, Jesus calls on us to be like Charlie and Sarah in this song, to be willing to give up our lives and to be considered foolish by others. 
And the really hard part about that is sometimes the people were considered foolish by our even our brothers and sisters in Christ. And that's what makes it difficult. But are you willing to loosen your grasp? Are you willing to die for what Jesus wants you to do? So what might this loosening of our grasp and willingness to die look like as it plays out in real life? Had a couple thoughts. Maybe reaching out to a neighbor or a co-worker who's really hard to love. It's going to take some dying to yourself to do that. Students, maybe it's walking into the cafeteria at school and there's that one kid who's a little bit odd who every day sits by himself. And you're the one that commits some social suicide and goes and sits with them. Is that what Jesus is calling you to do? Maybe it's forgiving a spouse who's done nothing, nothing to deserve forgiveness. Maybe it's not worrying about the bottom line in your business, but rather worrying about the character of your business. Even though it means less profit, you're going to do the right thing. Maybe it's leaving family and friends and moving to some place that you know God wants you to go so that you can be used by Him. Even when other people say, you shouldn't go there. You shouldn't do that. Maybe it's sharing the gospel, even though you know it might kill a relationship. Because you know that God told us to, as we are going through life, make disciples. I don't know. There's a million more things that that dying to ourselves and living for Jesus Christ might mean. Not sure where it shakes out for each one of you here in this room. But I know that Jesus does give us something great to cling to when we make these choices. Matthew chapter 16, verse 25 says this. For whoever would save his life, he will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. If we find life for God, for Jesus' sake, the things and the relationships that we might lose along the way are worth the loss. And this, I know, is counter to everything that we as human beings would choose or want to do naturally. We want to go through life comfortable, fat and happy. I understand that. But let's look at what Jesus modeled for us. Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 8 says this, For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I pray today that the teaching of God's Word, whether it be this week or in weeks past or weeks to come, would not be the thing that makes us turn away because we're challenged by it and leave like those 20,000 did, leaving just 12 behind. I pray that today we'll take a little time to consider what Christ might be calling us to loosen and let go of our grasp on. 
And I pray that each one of us will remember as we leave here today that whoever loses his life for Jesus' sake will truly find it. In the first service this morning, I had the privilege of baptizing Mark and Laura Solomon and their son Marco. They've been coming to our church for a couple of years. Mark and Laura both grew up in traditions where they were sprinkled as infants. But we practice believer's baptism here where we do immersion of people that have come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. We're going to see that again here in a minute. But as I was sitting and talking to them about what it meant to be baptized, I asked them, is there any fear of how people are going to look at you in your own family because, you know, your parents had you sprinkled as, as babies? And Laura looked at me. She's got a great accent, by the way. And she said, you know, I care about what my family thinks, but I care much more about what the man that died for me thinks. I probably just should have said that this morning and sat back down. But that's what God calls us to do. He calls us to have that attitude. It doesn't matter what other people may think. It matters what the guy with the holes in his hands and feet and side who died for you thinks. That's who we should be trying to please. I pray today as we leave this place that that would be the thing that challenges us. What are you holding on to that you need to let go of? And who are you trying to please? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word, and I pray today that it would be challenging. I pray, the Lord, that you would use the feeble words that I've spoken this morning to, to challenge each of our hearts, mine first, Lord, to be the people that you call us to be. I pray, Father God, that, that in our week coming up, that you would help us to, to examine the things that we are clinging to tightly and realize that the things we need to cling to are things of you. Lord God, I pray that you would help us to examine our lives and see where we might need to die this week so that you could be glorified. And Father, make us men and women and students that are bold to proclaim the name of Jesus Christ. I pray all this, Father God, in your name. Amen.